Hey folks, it's David. Think for a moment about your job. You probably have good days and bad days, we all do. But have you thought much about what exactly makes the good days good and the bad days bad? What contributes to your overall sense of morale? Who benefits when your morale's high? Maybe most importantly, who's potentially impacted when your morale is low? For any of us, having a bad day at work may not make that much of a difference for the people around us, especially if we're alone in a cubicle or a Richmond coffee shop like I often am. But in professions where we work with people, there could be some real consequences of a bad day. Imagine what it would be like to have a string of bad days with the same people over and over again who are counting on you. For teachers, that may not be that hard to imagine. According to the National Center for Educational Statistics, there's currently 14,000 school districts overseeing approximately 98,000 schools. Those schools serve over 50 million K-12 students. That requires a lot of teachers, and a recent MetLife survey found that their job satisfaction has fallen 23% nationally between 2008 and 2012. That's a 25-year low. What are the consequences of that? Turns out a lot of things, including teacher turnover, which gets expensive for districts who have to constantly hire new teachers, and a reduction in student achievement because students need consistent, engaging instruction to learn. What contributes to teacher morale? A lot of it has to do with how much they feel like they're being treated as professionals. So think again about your job. Maybe you're always treated as competent and trusted to do what you do. As Merck recently found out in their latest study titled Understanding Teacher Morale, that's often not the case for our teachers. That full report, which is available on our website at merc.soe.vcu.edu, and this episode of Abstract seek to share the stories of teachers who want us to know more about their morale. In today's episode, you'll hear from members of the 14-person Merck study team who spent the last two years focused on this project. They interviewed 44 teachers in three schools and developed a report outlining their experiences. Before we get into that conversation, though, we will first hear from Tammy Sober, who was a co-principal investigator, or PI, for this study. She let us know a little bit about what it was like to meet with these teachers and what she hopes we will all learn from their stories. We hope you'll take a look at this free report and share it, along with this episode, with anyone you know who cares about teachers and wants them to be treated as the professionals that they are. We know we do. Okay, here's Tammy. So being a teacher advocate for so many years, I think that when I first started uh, this study, working on this study, I came to it with the perspective that this would be another tool, um, a tool that we could use to try to influence policy change and that we'd be able to have data, which is so highly valued. Um, but I probably thought we wouldn't learn much much that would be new. Um, anecdotally, I know that teacher morale is low. I know the conditions teachers are dealing with and with the accountability movement and with um, all of the things that they face with um, growing poverty. I know the teacher turnover rate. So, so I kind of thought, mm, this will just be documentation we can use as a tool. But there was a moment I can remember um, when we were collecting data when my perspective changed on this particular tool. We were leaving uh, the third school that we had been in. So we had been in a school early on in the fall and then one in December and now it was February. And we had spent a week in the school been interviewing teachers and shadowing them all day. And I was walking out in the parking lot and uh, a colleague who had also been collecting data with me there, we both just had one of those moments where like our jaw was dropping and we were saying, have we been in an alternate reality? There were so many good things about this school. There were so many things that were working and they 
weren't just that, uh, like sometimes we want to reduce it to, uh, well, they have a student population that's ready to learn or something like that. What we saw were very concrete decisions being made by the leadership at the school building level to include teachers in the decision making. I mean, they were, what was being done there was what research says works, right? They were paying attention to things like fairness um, and whether there was fair distribution of teacher workload. Um, and what happened in that moment is we started discussing like this teacher morale study is, is real. We are gonna have real policy recommendations that are practical that if we can get it out and get decision makers and policy makers to pay attention, this isn't rocket science. This is actually, um, there are practical recommendations and levers for change. And that felt different for me because then I realized there was hope that this wasn't something that we needed to accept and that this wasn't even something that had a big price tag on it. It was like practical and we were going, wow, wouldn't you like to teach here? And, and then there was a sadness too because the sadness part was every school should feel like this. Every teacher should get to come to school, you know, shoulds, right? But where they feel valued, where their um, input matters, where it's not just a protocol, but the administration says, you know what, things work better when I ask the teachers first, how should we do it? Um, that's what we saw in so many aspects at that particular school. And, um, and I remember thinking, I hope we can write about this in a way that um, when people pick it up and read the study that they can follow it and implement some of this because if that happens, then we can make a difference. Welcome to Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at Virginia Commonwealth University. We are broadcasting from the School of Education here at VCU on a strangely beautiful day for January. It's 68 degrees, is that what I heard? Some people had 70 in their car on the way over here. Somehow that's happened here in January. This is um, officially our second episode of Abstract, which is very exciting because one episode means that you're just playing around, but two episodes arrived so that means that it's official just to put that in context this american life is now at 604 episodes so if they just stopped we would have 602 episodes to catch up to them so i'm sure ira glass is really nervous um i am once again surrounded by brilliant talented thoughtful people who care a lot about issues in education today we're talking about teacher morale merck just released this incredible new report um, that is available online. It's been getting a lot of news coverage lately. It's some, some really important information that we're talking about today related to how teacher morale is at an all-time low. Um, we're going to be covering a lot of really um, powerful stuff today, I think. We're going to talk about some of the research behind it, and we're going to be talking about the profiles that are covered in this report. Um, just to give you an overview of what we're talking about today, we're going to talk about what initiated the study, um, why does teacher morale matter, why is it stuff that we're talking about, as always, we're going to start with some definitions because you can't talk about research without talking about definitions. We often sit be on the same page, talk about why it's important to, to talk and study about uh, teacher morale. We'll talk about some of the methodology of how we conducted this study, what we learned, and then uh, we're going to actually have some folks reading some, some teacher profiles 
that are included in this report, and we're going to give some reactions to them just to talk about um, what we think about them. And then the full profiles are going to be available on the Merck website, merck.soe.vcu. Uh, the EDU, so if you want to listen to the full profiles, we have them all available, and you can download the whole report there. Um, and then we're going to wrap up from there. Let me introduce you to our great panel that we've got today. Um, we've got Ms. Autumn Neighbors, who's the Assistant Director of Curriculum Instruction for Chesterfield County Schools. Autumn, welcome. Hi. Glad to have you here. Uh, we have Debbie Gilfillan. Did I say that right? Yes. Good. Um, teacher at Pocahontas Middle School in Henrico County. Debbie, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Uh, we've got the Rodney Robinson from the Virginia Benford Educational Center, the Richmond Juvenile Detention Facility. Rodney, thanks for joining us today. Anytime. Yeah. And um, as always, meaning he's done this twice, we have Dr. Jesse Seneschal, the Interim Director of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium here with you. Hello. Hello, Jesse. Um, and I am David Knapp, and I'm your host of this show. So let's hop right into it. Um, Jesse, Sinichal, our interim director, what, will you give us an idea about what initiated this study, what some of the background is of why we're talking about teacher morale? Right. Uh, well, as with all Merck studies, um, the initiation of this study came from a conversation among the school leaders at the Merck Policy and Planning Council, which is um, a governing body of Merck, which is made up of superintendents, research directors, um, school board members, VCU faculty, and uh, brainstorming a list of topics of critical importance to the schools, teacher morale rose to the top, and we decided to do, um, commit a study team to, uh, to learning more about uh, what morale is and what drives morale. And I think um, the fact that it was a concern um, regionally is a reflection of national trends in um, teachers uh, feeling less satisfaction in their work. There's, you know, there've been a number of studies which document that, um, which are talked about in the report. Um, and I think you know what was good is that local school leaders really saw the importance of this issue, knowing that um, when teachers have high morale, it it's, uh, leads to better teaching, it leads to less um, instability in schools, uh, less teacher turnover, um, and uh, and that's of critical importance. And so uh, that's really where it started, and that was um, over two years ago. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's been a long journey. <laughs> yeah, uh, and how many people have been involved in this study? It's a big study. Yeah, uh, how many people, well, in the research team itself mm -hmm. is made up of um, myself, uh, then Tammy Sober, who was uh, one of the lead graduate students, and she was one that was there from the beginning all the way to the end and was like sort of my critical co-researcher in this project. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've had several other grad students come on at different times to support the work. Um, and then we have a, a study team, and Autumn, Debbie, and Rodney were part of the study team, but then there were probably um, seven or eight other members that have been on and off over the two years. But we've had a pretty consistent core group that's um, been engaged throughout. Uh, so that's been, that's who's involved in the study from the research side, and then we also have all the participants that, mm -hmm. um, you know, that we interviewed and, and shadowed at their schools, and so that's another part of it. Yeah, there's a lot of people that really care about this topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Autumn, why don't you give us a, an introduction to why teacher morale matters? Why should we care about this? Well, I believe that teaching is one of the most important professions. Um, it, it shapes our future. It shapes our environment, our culture. And uh, so when we look at teacher morale, as Jesse mentioned, that teacher morale affects our students and the, it impacts them 
their academics, it impacts their achievement, it can impact their, their social well-being. And so understanding and studying um, teacher morale is very important. I once had a professor who was a long-standing principal in, in the Richmond area, and, and she said, when we have happy teachers, mm -hmm. we have happy students. And, and in order for students to really grow and thrive in our schools, we need to, we need to look at teacher morale. It does matter. And as our legislation and as we look at social-emotional learning for our students, we have to consider social-emotional um, elements uh, of our, with our teachers. Mm. And so that's a, important to look at and to bring that joy and passion back into the profession in order to help our students grow. Because that's why we're all here. It's a service industry. So we're here to, to support those students that we see every day. Um, what do you mean by social-emotional? Um, when you talk about social emotional, there's a lot of work now in schools that we're not just here to move students according to standards, academic standards, but looking at non-academic measures and mm -hmm. looking at you know how are students, how are they kind to each other, how do they collaborate with each other, and and that that wellness, uh, mental wellness, um, as well as just the work that they're doing in the classroom academically. So mm -hmm. th that's an important element that we're focusing on as teachers, but we have to be centered around um, what does that teach morale we have and how that might affect the instruction of them. Yeah, and that, that social-emotional development is something that's a big national conversation too, and in Virginia, it's part of the new profile of the Virginia High School graduate, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so critical thinking, communication, creativity, all sorts of things that contribute to that. Yeah, yeah. and to add to um, the question um, why teach morale matters, I mean, from a what we, what we can say from the research, and there's a strong research base about this, about um, the impact of teachers' dispositions on school success. Um, teachers that are not satisfied with their work, are not as engaged with their work, are not as effective. Um, teachers that are not satisfied with their work are more likely to leave, and instability in schools, hard to staff schools, have um, shown to have lower performance. Um, High teacher turnover and high teacher absence has incredible financial costs for school divisions, mm. which have been you know calculated to be significant. And so, not addressing this um, becomes a, a financial burden for school divisions. And one, I think, one of the most um, important things to think about is morale. Um, the the uh, negative effects of morale are experienced with more frequency and intensity in the highest needs schools. And so really what it's doing is, um, you know, uh, sort of exacerbating the achievement gap and sustaining inequality that we're really concerned about. And so, I mean, and I think we know this to be true when we go into some of the, you know, the more challenging schools, um, the teacher turnover tends to be a lot higher. In fact, I was just at a RPS school board meeting and I saw there was a budget analysis done and part of it was about teacher turnover. 45% of the teachers in Richmond Public Schools um, are one to five years. Almost half of the teachers are in their first five years of teaching, which is incredible. And you look at the state average, and when, when you look at the state average, a, a, a lot of the teachers are in their um, sort of mid-career range. And so you're also like in schools where there's not a lot of expertise because you just have you're just kind of churning new teachers all the time. Um, so yeah, it, it's an important issue. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's also expensive, right? Yeah, right. Turner, why is that? Well, because you're constantly recruiting. Um, you're constantly having to train and do professional development to get people up to speed. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, 
it's um, and then in terms of the absence, you're you're constantly bringing subs in, and then you're trying to you know provide remediation services for all the things that the teachers aren't able to do. So the, the costs mount up. You might be able to say something about that too, Autumn, in terms of costs, because you're from from the division perspective. Absolutely, and I, I and all those costs that you just laid out were yeah. exactly the things that I think about. But I also think about there's pockets, and and that's why the study I think is so important. Mm -hmm. There are pockets of schools that are in high need areas that are having high teacher morale. It, mm -hmm. it, it's, I wouldn't want that generalization to be made that if there is a school that is struggling with, um, you know, students are in high poverty or under-resourced areas that that assumes um, that there is a low morale there. Mm -hmm. There are, and that was, what was so interesting about the study mm -hmm. is it's, it's not necessarily about that. It's about some of the other structures that are also in place. Not saying that that doesn't affect it. Mm -hmm. And there are a greater percentage of schools that are in those hard to staff, higher poverty areas that have the lower teacher morale. But mm -hmm. what I thought was interesting in the study, and we'll, we'll discuss through this discussion today, is that those factors can be um, negated, I guess. Uh, as we, we look in this. So I, I can think of examples in the Richmond area, but mm -hmm. you do have, um, like Jesse said, it, it's harder. It's mm -hmm. harder when you have less resources available to you. Yeah, we can, we can, when we get to the findings, we can kind of explore some of those dynamics mm -hmm. more. With mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie, I know you and I have had some conversations about working a high needs school with that experiences. Like, can you speak at all about turnover and things like that? Oh yeah, I worked in a school where I've seen in five years, I've seen over 50% turnover rate, you know, and a lot of it is due to low morale, you know, the majority of the teachers who left. And, you know, I always like to talk to them and uh, to try and understand, you know, why'd you leave? And the great thing about the study was it helped me put those reasons, those reasons that they gave me within a conceptual framework mm -hmm. and it allowed me to understand the study more. Because I've been in that situation where teachers have had low morale. When I've been the teacher in the school with the high morale, mm -hmm. trying to pull those teachers up. You know, and it gives me greater, the study has allowed me to understand their low morale and to try and work on some of the factors I know that is affecting their low morale to try and get them to a higher level. Yeah, yeah, and we're, I mean, we're already putting out some terms that are involved in the literature and with this study, so why don't we hop into some definitions. Get everybody on the same page here. So, um, Debbie, get us started here. What's morale? When we're talking about morale, what is that? Um, teacher morale is basically the teacher's ability to perform their job effectively, and it's their perception of whether they have the tools and the skills um, that they need in order to do that job. So, you know, kind of as Autumn said, um, it's a very individual concept. It's not determined by school building, although there are factors such as um, social constructs and the policy and leadership that absolutely affects um, teacher morale on an individual level. Um, mm -hmm. I think one thing that's really important to kind of note is that um, often I feel as though people um, have the perception that teachers can just pop into a job here or there. Mm -hmm. um, I've often been told, well, you can teach anywhere. and I really feel after being um, a teacher for several years at the same school that that's not true. You really hone your craft mm -hmm. with each year. Like you figure out what works and what doesn't and you improve upon it. And um, the whole idea of looking in your classroom and really seeing you know, what the individual needs of the students are is something that um, develops with experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think teacher morale is absolutely 
the teacher's ability to really um, do what's best for the student. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a situation where the teacher morale in the school feels low? Um, not necessarily in the entire school, mm -hmm. but and I think one thing that came out of this is that um, teacher morale is a very dynamic concept. Mm -hmm. You know, every teacher at some point is going to feel low teacher morale. I certainly have. Um, what gives me the joy and the passion for the teaching is that connection with the student and making and just knowing that I am making a tangible difference in their life, that I'm not just feeding them information and testing them to see if they've learned that information. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's really about making sure that um, an atmosphere of equality is established. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say also, um, kind of adding to Debbie's point, it's, it's, and she was really emphasizing the idea, it's about morale is related to teachers feeling like they have the ability to do their job, you know, mm -hmm. to, to um, engage in what they think, think of as important work in teaching. Um, and what we've also, what we also really talked about was that it's a, it's sort of your anticipation of being able to do that in the future as well. It's about future sort of orientation. Mm -hmm. So um, a low morale teacher might be one that says, you know, I, I'm not getting a lot of job satisfaction now and I don't see much hope of this getting any better. Mm -hmm. And so next week I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm kind of dreading next week. I don't want to go back to school next week or I don't want to go back to school after the summer's over. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a sign of low morale. You're not feeling hopeful about your ability to find job satisfaction. High morale teachers are, you know, are, are, are very hopeful and excited about what's to come. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's, uh, it's, it's important. And, and I think the, I think there's also, I mean, we, we definitely, the other thing I wanted to say is um, we came at this really with the idea that teacher morale is a very individual thing. Um, two, two teachers obviously in the same building can have different morales teaching right next to each other um, because of the different roles they play, because of the different people they are. I mean, because mm -hmm. people have different dispositions coming into school as well. But there's something about the school environment that adds to it as well. Sure. Because one of the things that we really, um, and we're, we're kind of jumping ahead in the findings a little bit, but one of the things we, we, we thought about was that a lot of a lot of what teachers value in the in the job of teaching is relationships mm -hmm. that they develop with their students and also relationships that they have with their coworkers. And when they feel connected on both personal and professional levels to those that are around them, that helps them feel better about their work and feels you know. And so if if there's dissonance or if there's conflict with with colleagues or with administration or with students that's going to be definitely something that kind of doesn't make it, uh, doesn't allow the teacher to do what they feel like they need to do. Yeah, sure. So, and when we're talking about teacher turnover, does that necessarily mean teachers going to a different school or leaving the profession entirely? It could be either. Um, I mean, I mean, one trend you might see, like when I talked about 45% of the teachers, in, a lot of the teachers in, that might start in Richmond, they might move to a county because they might, might have the sense that the, the environment's going to be easier. Mm -hmm. um, but then some people leave the profession as well. Yeah. But when you look at the research, what they'll, what they'll say is there's, um, there's the, the, the leavers, the stayers, mm -hmm. the movers, and the leavers are the three categories. And the movers are the ones that move to something that they hope is going to be a better teaching context. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I ask about group morale as well because it makes sense that this is an individual thing and it's something that you feel personally as a teacher. But I remember working in a school, and this might be anecdotal, but I just remember there were times of the year where it just felt like morale was low, that it was just kind of, people were just weighed down. It might be testing related. It might have been that they didn't feel like they were being supported by administration or policy, but it was something about like February 
for some reason that just felt like it was kind of low. Yeah. Well, with the relationships that Jesse mentioned, I think that, you know, absolutely uh, teachers affect one another and how they're feeling about things and, mm -hmm. you know, with the administration and the social construct. So it all ties together. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there is some research behind the, um, the, the cycle of a, a school year for a teacher, and, mm -hmm. and, and that goes with um, getting to know your student and the excitement that starts, and then there's a dip naturally mm -hmm. um, when we get into the year. And so that cycle, it's, it's actually the research was developed around first-year teachers, but when I have worked with new teachers and then their mentors, the mentors, the veteran teachers will say, I follow that same cycle um, in my own emotions and, and teaching. So there is something about the morale at the time of year, too. And I, I think there's the some truth to that. Yeah. And the students, yeah. 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 Let's, get, uh, let's get into a, a second definition here, because I think a lot of what we've talked about relates teacher morale to teachers being treated as professionals. Um, so the report discusses the relationship between teacher morale and teacher professionalism. So what is teacher professionalism? Rodney, walk us through that. Well, um, teacher professionalism can be looked at from many angles, but for this study, we look mainly at, you know, six key characteristics of professionals by Lee Shulman. You know, of course, the first one is scholarly knowledge. You know, teachers are expected to be experts in their subjects. And, of course, this is measured of course, through your college or university, wherever you went, um, through your coursework. Also, it's measured through teacher tests, such as the Praxis. And, of course, you have to have a license in order to become a teacher. Um, the second characteristic would be field of practice, your classroom or your, your setting where you're actually working. You know, and during the study, we found that has a huge impact as far as, you know, the conceptual framework which we'll talk about later, but the field of practice, where do you actually work, what do you actually do? Um, the third one, of course, being professional judgment. That's the importance of exercising professional judgment, allowing you, you to use your expertise to make decisions within your field. Um, a lot of teachers always say, let me be a professional, let me make decisions, and this is a key factor in you know whether a teacher has high or low morale. Um, uh, the fourth characteristic, of course, professional learning through reflective practice. Reflective, excuse me. Professional learning through reflective practice. Um, this is the ability to monitor and improve your craft. Um, as teachers, you know, a lot of teachers have high and low morale based on the fact that they aren't allowed to do that, or either they're being forced through a certain policy on how to do that, and they don't feel it's effective. So that can have a great effect on morale. Um, the fifth, of course, your professional community. Are you in a community where there's great collegiality, which is one of our fits in our professional framework? And are you happy and are you getting the knowledge you need in that community to be professional and to deal with your job on an everyday basis? And that has a high effect on morale. The last one, and the sixth characteristics, of course, would be the moral and ethical commitments of the job. And, you know, our, our person says as a teacher, you know, if you don't have high morals or ethics, you, you don't belong in this profession. And so, you know, you have to trust that professionals will conduct themselves with, and do their work with good intentions. And this has a major effect on morale as well. And so a teacher brings expectations about professional work and the school system provides a policy and practice structure or professional culture in which those expectations are met or not. If there's a good fit, we might say that the visions of professionalism are aligned. If there's not a good fit, 
is likely to be a problem of conflicting visions of professionalism. Mm -hmm. A high mor morale teacher is one that is hopeful about being able to realize his or her vision of professional practice within the school context. A low morale teacher is not hopeful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. A word that stands out to me about what you just what you just described is decisions. I feel like more and more teachers are not allowed to make decisions over their own work and their own practice. Can anybody yeah. elaborate on how it is that teachers aren't allowed to make decisions as much for their own practice these days? There are a number of policies that come down um, that, and a lot of it revolves around paperwork. Um, and the kind of time building on that, the point that I really wanted to make is that in talking about teacher morale, um, I think there are so many things that have been done to ensure that teachers are accountable and that teachers really are um, giving their students the best education possible, like 21st century skills, um, you know, differentiating and making sure they're meeting the needs of each student. And I think that's vital that we don't lose that. Um, but, you know, one of the big things that I think we discussed while putting together the study was the importance in teacher voice. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the um, kind of pedantic measures that have been put into place that entail a lot of excessive paperwork um, don't always yield the result that they're intended to. And so getting the teacher's voice or getting the administrator's voice and getting the student's voice, um, looking at how those processes can become more efficient so that really we're doing um, what's best for the students. Mm -hmm. Are accountability and voice kind of at odds sometimes? I don't think necessarily. I just think that accountability measures have been put into place without necessarily taking into account feedback or voice. And that's a problem with any sort of measure. Yeah. And I think the study is coming out at a, a perfect time because I think we are with ESSA and with what our, our state in, in Virginia here is doing, I do think we're getting into allowing some of the, the local um, you know, local schools to really look at and get that teacher voice to determine how we measure um, students' learning, and I think that's great. And so this, those changes in policy paired with the release of the study, I think is just perfect timing mm -hmm. as we move. And I heard a, a state leader just say, um, yesterday at a meeting that we just need to control the pendulum because the mm -hmm. pendulum went to exactly. hi, this high accountability and high standardization mm -hmm. and we're, we're seeing it shift but we need to make sure it doesn't like completely shift the other way too because then we're it's gonna I fall agree. again mm -hmm. so we have to control that swing and I thought wow what a great visual we just need to have to create that balance is what what we need um, for our students for our teachers and and hopefully that affects morale. Right. I would say um, just a couple couple points. One is um, you asked the question about uh, being able to make decisions. And I think one of the things that I saw, and I kind of like had this in the back of my mind, but like I, I really started to think about when, I, when we were doing the study was um, pretty much all the domains of teacher work were structured by policy. Mm -hmm. So teachers were told, these are your standards, so you need to teach these standards. And then here's the pacing guide, here's how you need to teach them. And here are, here, is, uh, here are the assessment systems, and here are the tests. So we're gonna tell you how to assess the knowledge that the kids are learning that we told you you need to teach. And then here, is, um, here are your PLC protocols, so you have to go and, and meet with other teachers and talk about the stuff in these, in these ways and make sure you fill out paperwork for every one of these things. Yeah. And so everything that, it, that was in the, you know, the work of a teacher has been sort of 
broken out into little discrete tasks. And so it's like, well, if we're just being told what to do all the time, where, where, where is my professional judgment in this, in this mix? Mm -hmm. And so that becomes a problem. The other thing I want to say is about accountability. I think that we absolutely want to maintain high accountability within mm -hmm. our system, but we just need to rethink what accountability looks like. Sure. Yeah. Because the accountability structures they have in place are not doing what they're supposed to do. Because often, often they come in the, in the form of compliance mm -hmm. with protocol rather than accountability for actual real teaching and learning and authentic instruction. Sure. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes because you have teachers that are trying really hard to be good teachers. Yeah. And then the paperwork is just a distraction and a time suck for that. And they don't, they don't feel like it's connected to where their core mission is. And that gets to that issue of, of um, ethical commitment too. I think a lot of the emotional struggle that teachers have is they feel like, I just want to do right by my kids in my classroom. Mm -hmm. But then they feel like they're not able to do right by their, they're not able to fulfill their calling. Yeah. Teachers see it as a calling. Teachers are mm -hmm. emotionally involved in their work. And they have their, but they're put into work structures in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases where they don't, they can't do what they feel like they need to do. Yeah. 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 I like what you said, Jesse, too, about the the structures and <clears throat> you kind of. I was like, yes, you you st structured all the things that were told for teachers that they have to do, and so we we this the <laughs> system we're all part of it in some mm -hmm. form or fashion created this culture of compliance, mm -hmm. and I do think as we're trying to open the doors to innovation and autonomy. It's hard though because we have to shift that culture of compliance to a culture of learning and innovation, and that I have seen I have seen that as we open the doors and allow for more autonomy, which is what we need and what we want. Mm -hmm. But it's still scary because yes. before, if I did what I was told, I was fine, and now I have the opportunity and the freedom to make some choices. But is it safe? Mm -hmm. And so yes. I think that's and that's where we're that swing again. <laughs> and um, but I, I think you you very well articulated what, what got us here. Mm -hmm. and, and, okay, go ahead. Yeah. And see, I have a, a little different perspective because I taught at a school that was in both federal and state improvement. <laughs> and so therefore I've gone through the ringers of the federal improvement program mm -hmm. and I've gone through the ringers of the state improvement program. Mm -hmm. And one thing I noticed is the state actually listened a little more. Mm -hmm. And so for example, when the federal government came in with all these mandates, these meetings, this is what you have to do, this, 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 and this, you know, 75% of the teachers said, why did I go to school? Hmm. Why did I learn to be a teacher? Why, do I, why am I a professional if you're going to tell me what to do? Yeah. Whereas when the state came in, they instituted the same protocols, but they allowed us to be professionals and make the judgments of us deciding what did our kids need how would we handle our professional development? And therefore, there was higher morale and higher buy-in because the state came in and respected us as true professionals mm -hmm. and allowed us to make those decisions. And that had a direct effect on the morale because when the state first came in, everyone was, here we go again. Mm -hmm. But once they introduced how they were doing it, you know, some were still, here we go again. But a lot of people were like, okay, I like it this way. Let's get on board. And so we had a much more effective plan because the teachers got to use their professional judgment and make um, decisions mm -hmm. that they weren't allowed to under the federal program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so autonomy and voice is compromised when you overly standardize things, it sounds like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to skip ahead a little bit just to get into the, the methodology, how we actually 
conducted this study to talk about what it is that you guys you guys did when you were working with these teachers. Um, so Debbie, why don't you get us get us going with this? How did we conduct the study? Starting with how did you pick the schools to participate? We asked for volunteer schools from the school divisions, mm -hmm. and uh, you know you can't do a study like this, go into a school and observe and interview a bunch of teachers if the school is not willing. And so we um, asked the school divisions, and we said that we wanted we wanted variety. Um, mm -hmm. We wanted to get schools that kind of were coming uh, that had different characteristics and qualities, so we could see how those differences might affect morale. And the differences we were really interested in. Um, one was policy context. We th thought that you know the ways that um, schools were affected by policy might influence the way the professional culture of the school was established and the teacher's experience of that professional culture. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the main thing that we were interested in there was their accreditation status. Mm -hmm. When, for example, Roddy just told a story about being, you know, with the feds and the state coming into their school and telling them stuff about how to improve their school, um, that doesn't happen at other schools because that school was on, had accreditation problems and so they felt like they needed to turn the school around or make it successful again. Um, the, the differences in having like being in, in warning with accreditation are going to possibly affect the professional culture. And then the other thing was the socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. We felt like uh, this, the social context of the, of the school was going to have influence on teachers, um, for example, success at, at, at relating and connecting to kids. Mm -hmm. you know? And I, th I think that's something that comes out obviously um, in uh, higher poverty schools is that often um, teachers struggle with those relationships and struggle with classroom management because there's cultural disconnect possibly or that or maybe it's cultural or related to socioeconomic status or whatever but there's more likelihood of you know issues in the community having more uh, sort of discord or conflict in relation to the school culture and so we thought that those would be important factors and so anyway we got uh, uh, recommendations of like seven different schools and then we did profiles we kind of did profiles of each of them to learn more about the schools and then we picked pick three from there. Mm. And so, and the schools are, um, there's a good amount of variety, both in their um, uh, sort of uh, socioeconomic status. Uh, so I think the highest school had like 40% students on free and reduced lunch. Mm. And then the school with the lowest, our, the lowest FRL population was, um, had like 10% or something around there. Mm -hmm. And then um, we had, uh, all the schools were accredited, but one of the schools was, um, very worried about losing their accreditation, and so that kind of culture kind of was infused in the school. We really noticed that when we went and observed. Um, and then one of the schools had some concern about it, and the other school was was mostly free from that concern. And so that was that was good too. Um, so some variety in the settings that you were variety in settings. So we had three different cases we were looking at. Right. right. Yeah, and there are teachers within these schools that you guys ended up working with. And then we went, we went yeah. to, uh, I went to three faculty meetings, or two faculty meetings, I think, I, th I don't think I went to the third one, we weren't able to figure that out. But two faculty meetings, handed out flyers, talked about the study, and then teachers decided if they wanted to join. We wanted mm -hmm. to make sure that teachers didn't feel forced to join, so they, they opted into the study. Um, and we were looking, again, for variety. We wanted teachers that were new teachers, and ones that had been teaching 20 years. We wanted teachers that taught English and SOL tested subjects and ones that didn't. We wanted teachers that taught advanced honors classes and one that taught ones that taught um, the regular classes and the collaborative classes, you know. Um, and so we wanted, we thought all of those might influence teachers, you know, experience of work. And so, uh, and we got, again, got really good variety on those variables and the method is all detailed in the report. So it kind of, um, 
it, you can you can see you can see our sample through that. Um, and then with data collection, what we did is we we did site visits. We spent a week at each of the schools. Uh, we had a research team, so four of us would come together at a school. We'd meet in the morning. We would each get assigned one of the teachers. We would um, shadow them for half of the day, just taking notes on what we were seeing in the school and what we were hearing. Um, and then at the end of the day, we'd interview them. Um, and uh, yeah, and altogether we had 44 interviews and observations, and that was the data that we used to draw our conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. 44 interviews take some time. That's a but we had project. a big team, yeah. yeah. But we had a big team. So I, you know, I I went for so I myself I did twelve <laughs> interviews. So I did three. I did I'd interview every day across the three schools. But each of the study team members did two, right? Yeah. You each spent two days yeah. at the school, and every one of our all of our core study team members participated in this. So it was really I thought that was a, a really powerful part of the study is that we you were all engaged in that level. So what was that like speaking to the teachers in these schools that participated in this study? It was interesting because I think as teachers, you get so caught up in your regular day and your activity that you don't have time to see how things operate outside of your daily activities. Mm -hmm. And so for me, just was a fresh perspective to go and see teachers in different environments with different students, yet, you know, found that we had some of the same issues, things that I never thought that mm -hmm. problems I thought that they wouldn't have, they have. You know, and so that kind of opened up my mind to, okay, we're all in this together. So a lot of the things that we're doing, you know, even though it may be minor differences, it's still the same basic core issues that we're all dealing with. Yeah. I loved it. I think it's something that um, I wish more of my colleagues could experience because you get to shadow a teacher throughout the day. Um, and just the building that I was in, I could tell that there was just a really good relationship between the teachers and the students. Um, and then it was really neat to observe the lessons and think about it from from an outside perspective, like what was great about it, what could be tweaked, you know, you kind of get into that um, analyzing mode. And then interviewing the teachers and hearing their stories um, on such a personal level, I just feel was uh, very invaluable. And I, I really appreciated the experience. Um, I imagine doing interviews with teachers, talking about their morale, and I think this comes across in the report a little bit, um, probably can be a little bit therapeutic for the teachers that are participating in this. Can yes. you speak to that? Um, one of my guys was, you know, one of the girls was a first year teacher. And so, I felt like there was a therapy session, you know, and even after we finished, we exchanged emails and we continued to email each other and bounce just ideas, mm -hmm. you know, off of one another when it comes to just pedagogy, mm -hmm. not just, you know, morale. We just talked about pedagogy. And I think, you know, just being that open helped him. Also, it helped me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, how much do you feel like teachers feel listened to? In their work, right? Not much, yeah. <laughs> and that came and that came out in the um, in the interviews too. Like uh, some of the people talked explicitly, like I really wanted to do this because I want I, I want somebody to listen to what I have to say, um, and I think the interviews were were very therapeutic. Um, the interviews, the protocol started with a big part where it's like, um, how did you get into teaching? Why did you want to teach? It really kind of helped teachers focus on their their ideals and their commitments as as teachers. 
and then it moved into their experiences of their schools and then kind of ended on the question of what are your frustrations and how would you rate your morale? The morale question was a bit, well, like one of the very last questions. Yeah. And by that time, they'd really kind of, it put them in this place where they were really thinking about themselves in this sort of large career perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, and they were, it was emotional times. I mean, there were tears in some of my interviews. I mean, people were, were, were very kind of like, you know, especially the teachers that, and you, you know, the tears, I, I had one teacher that um, broke into tears because she was so happy. Mm. She's like, I never thought I'd find a school that, that where I could really do what I needed to do. And I, I'm so, I just, I, I'm sorry I'm crying, but I'm so happy. <laughs> and then in other cases, it was just feelings of kind of despair. Like, I really, really, really want to be a good teacher, but I'm not able to do what I need to do. And so it's an emotional profession. I mean, I can tell you it's an emotional profession. It was one of the things that drove me out of teaching was um, I was, there was so much emotion in my day to day with the conflicts and the intensity of the teaching. And that, you know, it was at a point where I also had uh, two children <laughs> and it was hard to kind of think about being a parent and being a teacher at the same time and being able to kind of separate those worlds was hard and so mm-hmm. I think a lot of teachers struggle with that work-life balance stuff yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely relate I was never a teacher but I was a high school counselor for mm-hmm. four years and yeah. I just remember the um, it was a very emotional job highs and lows and yeah. very stressful at times and I remember I would come home and my wife would ask me what I did that day and I couldn't even remember or process everything that had happened yeah. in that day. And that's heavy work, and I think that people outside of um, public education looking in don't always realize how complicated the jobs tend to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you went to three schools, you talked to 44 teachers, followed them around, it's a lot of, a lot of involvement in relationship building. What did they teach you? What did you learn about teacher morale? Um, if I had to put it into three, um, key findings um, the first is that it's some of the stuff we've talked about already but one is that uh, and, and Debbie sort of introduced this point in the beginning which is that it's about roles and relationships is how I ended up articulating in the report to some extent um, teaching involves roles and relationships and the most critical one there is the role of being a teacher like your, your engagement with your students at, as a teacher Okay, mm-hmm. and so when so for example, when you ask teachers where they find the satisfaction in their work, they always say in the classroom, working with the student, <laughs> seeing the aha moment, that sort of piece. Okay, um, and they would talk about their sort of engagement with like you know I, I had a really good lesson, I saw the light bulb go in on, but they would also really talk about um, how much they cared about the kids and how much they, they their relationships really were important to them, and so. Yeah, and, and those things are kind of distinct but embedded within each other. So a teacher could have really good relationships but not really be, not really teach them anything, or they could be a good teacher but have poor relationships. But the, the teachers that were the, that, that found the most satisfaction, those two things were intertwined. And the same the same phenomenon, the same sort of dynamic happened with their colleagues. And so teachers really in, enjoyed engaging with their colleagues as professionals and as on in a personal way. And te- the schools that were. I mean, all of our schools were actually pretty strong in terms of their morale, and you know, they and they had strong leaders, which we can talk more about it too. But um, it feels like a family here. They would say things like that, like I really can trust and I get support from my colleagues, and that was like another part. So that is where teachers—that's what teachers' work is about. And so when there are things that interfere with that, that don't allow teachers to teach or don't allow them to establish the relationships or don't allow them to establish relations with the colleagues or collaborate, then that's where 
the morale starts to suffer. You're interfering with teachers' core work, their roles and relationships. Yeah. So that was point one. The second point is a lot of that, a lot of the problem relates to policy. Hmm. Um, and, it, and it relates to policy in that a lot of policy is dictating how teachers can do their job. And mm -hmm. you know, it sort of constrains their ability to fulfill their roles and engage in those relationships. Mm -hmm. And um, the problems with policy is one, it was overload the teachers. There was too much to do. The other is that often the policies didn't make any sense to the teachers. And they said, why am I doing this? Um, the third is that um, the policies didn't seem fair. Like, um, I don't feel like I'm getting treated fairly as compared to this other teacher across the hall or compared to that other teacher in that, in that um, other school. And um, what were the other pieces on that? <laughs> but policy, there were others, but policy was this big thing. And it could be either be done well or not. So, I mean, essentially policies are, are in principle good, right? They're, why do we do lesson plans? Because lesson planning is something the teacher should do. Mm -hmm. And so if the policy was well designed and it was well implemented at the school level and at the district level, it could actually be really supportive. And there were examples of teachers saying, I really like this policy, okay? Mm -hmm. But often the, the frustrations came from either poorly designed policy or ineffectively implemented policy. Yeah. So that would be the second thing. And then the third thing is that principles are important because principles are the ones that kind of, they are the implementers of policy. They are the communicators of policy at the school level. They establish the professional culture which teachers work within. And so a good principle can make all the difference. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, that's sort of like the three essential points, but I don't know if y'all want to add anything to that. If I may, um, yeah. the idea of teachers having a voice yeah. Um, is sometimes really intimidating mm -hmm. because often I think the policies are developed um, from a very sound foundation. Yeah. But the people who develop them aren't there when the policies are implemented. And so it kind of factors into do you want your teachers at home spending three hours putting together um, a spreadsheet of data from standardized testing material that they've kind of already looked at or do you want them at home spending three hours developing really fun lessons? Right. Um, and so in terms of having a voice, yes, I think teachers need to have a voice, but then I think that comes with responsibility too because then they have to take it upon themselves to be more informed of the policies and why the policies were being put into place and making sure that they're stepping up um, and becoming accountable to the end goal. Mm -hmm. That's true, yeah, yeah. And just like we say for, for, for teachers with their students, students can't engage in learning unless they understand the why. Mm -hmm. And so that same principle has to be the same for, and I know we use the word policy, but what I saw in my observations through the case study was expectations. Something doesn't seem as heavy as policy per se, but clear expectations and an understanding of why those expectations are important. And then the buy-in is there, and that affects the teacher morale. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are policies that are made by people that are not educators, so there's an, a lack of maybe understanding and disconnect. But there are policies that are made by educators, but the implementation of that policy never includes a thorough um, you know, um, breakdown of why this is happening and why we need this and how this is being implemented to maybe um, improve and enhance 
um, teaching so we can help students, if, if that's the case. I mean, I'm not saying all policies are that positive, but um, so, so I, I think that why. We, we as adult learners and, um, and, and, and to really affect our teacher efficacy, we need to understand why. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be a component to, um, to rolling out and implementing policies. Mm -hmm. That was something that came up in the interview that I did with my teacher. Is, um, she said, I just do what I'm told to do. I've decided it's a lot easier to just do what they tell me to do. And I think that definitely affected things. We should, um, we should read some profiles yeah. because I think that's going to, I think these themes are going to come out and then we can reflect on them more and pass some real data. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that cool? Yeah, definitely. So um, for those of you who haven't had a chance to read this, this great report yet, there's some really interesting teacher profiles have developed from the 44 interviews um, we've developed. It's 11 profiles, right? 11, uh, 11 profiles of teachers and the types of things that they were saying, um, but the themes that emerged from, from the, the data. So what we're going to do now is we're going to play some of those for you, um, and then we're going to get some reactions from the group of what they mean, right? Yeah. Just take so um, the first one we're going to do is a teacher named Samantha, um, who's our early career teacher, social studies teacher. Uh, she teaches both regular and advanced. She's in her um, second year, her first year of teaching. She was at, uh, she was in a split position where she was at two different schools. So that gives her a really interesting relative perspective. So she's coming to this with kind of understanding how a different school works, and that become that comes out in the interview a little bit. And so um, I'm going to read this interview apart, and then um, Autumn's going to read the uh, the role of Samantha. Okay, so. Um, so my question is, how do you feel about working at the school? I love it, 100%. I hope that's evident through all of this. Having worked at two schools, I feel really, really blessed. And I mean, I don't say that lightly or to be cheesy, to have seen the way two schools really do it. And when I say do it, I mean everything, from taking attendance, from collaborating with other teachers, from lunch duty, from hall duty, from homework assignments, from test policies, classroom practices, discipline, and the two schools that I worked at last year did it 100% different from one another. And I have my opinions about who did it better. I think my school probably does most everything better, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited to be here. One of the biggest differences that makes an impact on my day-to-day -day success and happiness is just the staff. We are 100% committed to each other, to the school, to the students, to our professions. There's not a single person who's just waiting to retire. And I can't say the same at the school I worked at previously, and even in my student teaching experiences. It seems like this school is kind of the exception here. And to my knowledge, even people who are close to retirement, they're still in love with this profession. Everyone here loves being here, is happy to be here, will be here tomorrow with bells on, gladly. So how would you describe the school to someone who was unfamiliar with it? My mom knows nothing about school, except what she reads in books or newspaper articles and the snippets she gets from us growing up as kids. And so I actually had her shadow me for a day because I wanted her to understand exactly what goes into this place. And it's just so much that truly not all of it can be put into words. It is 100% a feeling of what happens in this building. And there are a lot of components that go into it. But to really take it all in, I think you really have to spend a day in our shoes because it's hard to quantify. It's very much a web, an interconnected web. And I don't want to say spider web because that implies confusion, and there's certainly parts that are confusing. 
However, the web would, in my mind, kind of fall apart if any one piece or component was suddenly just dropped, because it all makes sense related to the next thing that goes with it. It is really a web of connectedness. I think it starts at the top, with the administration, because their expectations are the same across the board, and everything they do is for the students, but they recognize that they have to, they have, to have their staff on board. And so if we're gonna make a student-based decision, then we need to make the decision in a way that the staff can implement and be pleased and happy and willing and successful in implementing whatever it is that students ultimately succeed. There's this level of trust and understanding in the system that everybody upholds the system. Okay. So that one always, um, for me, it's just like blew me away. Like, isn't it, and I think I think this is every it, like every principal kind of dreams. Like, oh, I think I hope all my staff feels this way. <laughs> yeah. right? I hope all teachers are like this. Um, but it's it's. Uh, I think one of the lines that always stands out to me is the one about everything is for the students, but they recognize they have to have their staff on board to do that. Yeah, which I think is a really really critical piece. Yeah. Yeah. Happy teachers, happy students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My takeaway from listening to Samantha is, is buy-in. That's the, the phrase right. that yeah, stands yeah. out to me. There's clearly, um, if she's if she's representing what the general sentiment is in the school, there's clearly buy-in in the staff that there's some sort of central mission to serve students at the school that everybody feels on board with, that everybody's contributing to, um, and that that's a message that is ringing true and is reinforced. Even, it sounds like, in, in difficult times that people um, tend to push through that. And when she said that it's something that's hard to quantify, that stood out to me too and kind of reinforces the importance of doing the study the way that we did this study to mm -hmm. make sure that we have a qualitative representation of um, how these teachers um, experience teacher morale, what their, what their work is like, um, because just doing a survey of this might not accurately capture what their experience is really like. Right. Yeah. I think it's really important when she talks about um, the connection and the web. Mm -hmm. Because even though we've talked about morale being an individual concept, that connection and those relationships are so important. And mm -hmm. so in terms of like, how do you build that? Um, how can everyone bring that enthusiasm and that dedication to it? And how can that be what sets the tone? Yeah, and, and building on that, I think one thing that I saw in this school, and I saw in the other schools to, to varying degrees, was that um, Schools are very complex systems. In fact, one of the one of the principals that we also interviewed um, the principals of these schools to get the principal perspective. And one of the principals, you know, talked about this, the school is like a living organism that's constantly changing and it's very dynamic and changes the context. And sort of a principal's role is kind of managing the complexity of a school. And as much as you can kind of make those all these interrelated systems like curriculum, discipline, you know, uh, sort of just building management, all these things work in in, in sync and be as efficient and effective as possible is a real talent. Like having a principal that can really like be, be that, you know, kind of understand those systems and, and be able to manage them in really effective ways to ensure that the, there is connectedness that both in relationships and between like sort of systems is um, powerful. And I, I, th I think that metaphor that she pulls out is really, really a good one. It's, it's, it's complex, it's almost hard to explain, but it really all works, you know, mm -hmm. so it's cool. I mean, I think that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. We've been talking about teacher morale, but in my head, I realized that I always connect it to administration, 
administrator morale, mm -hmm. staff morale, student morale, parent morale. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that teacher morale is really just all about the teacher. It's about mm -hmm. all of the components about that come into play. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A whole school community, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't yeah. exist in a, in a bubble. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the central things that you were talking about earlier, Jesse, that a lot of these schools had strong leaders and that was apparent. That was one of the themes that came out. Right. Okay. Do you want to go to Go ahead. Oh, I was th just because I also was um, observed at the school, and I think was interesting, and, and Samantha talked about that is the expectations, and there were very clear and high expectations and very clear um, policies, but everyone was on board, yeah. and that to me was impressive, and that affected the morale because if some people are bucking the system or not on board, you, you don't have that community, but if everyone's like, okay, we're all gonna do this together, mm -hmm. even though it's not our favorite th part of our job, but if we're all doing it together, then um, that connectedness that she talked about was so important, and, and that I thought was really interesting and very unique. When mm -hmm. she said this school seems like an exception, I wondered how much it really was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanna, so we're gonna go to the next one? Let's go on to Linda. Next one is Linda. Um, Debbie's gonna read this one. And to introduce Linda, Linda's a um, mid-career teacher, and when we say mid-career, we usually mean, you know, 10 to 15 years, 10 to 20 years, um, and or maybe eight. I think by eight, you're kind of mid-career. You've kind of gotten your hidden into your stride. You're pro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you, you know, you never, you never like fully develop as a teacher. You're always developing. Even veteran teachers are constantly learning and growing. But um, by mid-career, you've kind of figured out who you are as a teacher. Um, a music teacher, so she's not a core subject teacher, which is a, a interesting um, place to be in. Um, and she's somebody that's struggling with morale. Um, like when she, um, I think when she was asked, like when she was asked the question, "What is your morale?" I think I'm reading from the report here. She says, "It depends on the day. Today's pretty good, but there are days that I leave here in tears and don't want to teach." Mm -hmm. And I think this is a this is something that teachers often feel is like this real fluctuations. You mentioned that earlier too, like highs and lows. Definitely, there are highs and lows. Some jobs are you just kind of like, "Ah, eh, it's a job." Teaching is one where you have days when you're just like on top of the world, and other days when you're you feel like um, yes. you can't do it anymore. And so, um, and that's going to come out a little bit in her interview. And so, um, Debbie, are you ready? Okay. So, um, what are the parts of your job that frustrate you the most? I have friends that teach in other counties, and they don't have to do nearly the amount of work that we do. Like we have to go extra days in the summer and do required training. And when the county first came up with the teacher evaluation system, we had to go to two full eight-hour days of training. But the amount of paperwork that you have to do for that, it sucks up so much time. And then nobody ever really looks at it. It's very frustrating. And what is the value of the data that you are collecting? My first year that I did it, the data that I collected didn't show growth with my students because it was my first year figuring it all out. That's part of the reason I received proficient instead of exemplary. If you don't show numerical growth in your students, you can't get exemplary, even if you are trying everything that you can, which doesn't make sense to me. It makes me weary of setting a goal at the beginning of the year when I might actually want to try something different, something a little bit more effective. It makes me want to pick something that I know is going to be safe. I know they are going to be horrible at some things prior to being exposed to the content, but to me, isn't that the part of the thing about teaching? Taking risks and trying new things and figuring out better ways to do things? And it makes you just so scared to do it. 
because you're going to be judged on it. I spent an hour coming up with a pre-assessment and a pre-assessment rubric with all these little boxes when I could have graded something in 10 minutes, but I needed to show the person that's looking at it that each one of the numerical values meant something. So I had to type up this whole big form and then this huge rubric, and then I had to grade them. And then I had to find the numerical values, and then I had to come up with a percentage that students were going to grow. Six hours I spent on this, and I've submitted it, and it was approved in two minutes. I don't even think they looked at it. It's just frustrating. What's your sense of teacher collaboration in this school? I am constantly at home researching and going on websites and going on blogs and trying to do stuff on the internet as much as I can. I also have a lot of middle school music teacher friends in our school division that get together and share ideas and we have decided to take it on ourselves, even though we don't get professional development hours for it. We just meet on our own time. We just rotate schools and kind of steal each other's ideas because that's how you get better and we all want to get better. Everybody wants to do a good job. We are competitive. You want to hear somebody, you want somebody to hear one of your performances and be like, oh, how did they do that? You want your students to do the best. I don't mind doing all that stuff. It's just that I wish there were more time built in the day. It is frustrating when you have a huge stack of things to grade and you need to be in your room and I have to go to a meeting. And when we show up and ask, what are we going to talk to talk about today? The response we receive is, I don't know, what do you want to talk about today? It's frustrating. And I am sure there are a lot of meetings that on paper look really good for the school. Like the school submits its papers to the school board office and the school board office submits it to Virginia. And they're like, oh, we do these professional learning community meetings. And we do seven hours of that. And we do this many of this. I'm sure on paper it looks like we are awesome, but we are really not learning anything. I don't know. It's just, it's not the best use of time. The best use of time for me, what's going to impact my students the most, is getting together with other music teachers and sharing ideas and hashing out solutions to problems that we have. All of that stuff I do on my own time. Okay. So, very different perspective. Um, different experience. What stands out for y'all? I think it goes back to the professionalism. She doesn't feel that she's respected as a professional and that her judgment matters. Everything she does is to satisfy someone else who's not connected to her students or her classroom. And I think that's where a lot of her frustration comes in. Mm -hmm. And it's looking at, you know, are the measures used to assess teacher accountability, are they reliable and are they valid? And a rubric can be a really amazing tool to use with students and to increase student growth. Um, but in terms of the profession, um, I think a lot of respect will come when teachers um, have the opportunity to show their, their performance, their professionalism, in a way that is um, effective and efficient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think about with this, the story she tells about spending six hours developing this rubric yes. and, this, and this percentage system to, to do an assessment system that's gonna be important for her exemplary rating or not, and then it gets approved in two minutes and nobody looks at it or gives her any feedback yeah. about it, and how demoralizing is that? Yeah. yeah. You know, to have, 
to and I think that's a I think the the data piece in schools is big and it, there's a there's a big focus on you know data driven instruction mm -hmm. um, which I think is good I think we should use evidence to support our teaching practice it's, it's what professionals do but it's often being implemented in a way where it's just about filling out documenting things but it's not doesn't lead to real dialogue that leads to improved performance as a teacher and so um, and it it's it just sucks up so much time and you just don't have any time as a teacher you know and so it's not you can see where it kind of led her yeah it goes back to what you were saying earlier whereas she sees it as <clears throat> this is why this is why I'm doing this is because it's to make someone happy Mm -hmm. She doesn't understand the core concept of why she's doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, she's just doing it to get it out of the way to satisfy the policy context of her school. Mm -hmm. And so I think that has a lot, that has a heavy effect on her low morale. Mm -hmm. In fact, she feels like she's just going through the motions on her job and she doesn't truly understand why she's doing the things. Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to the data, the rubrics and everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, this is why I did it. Then she gives it to someone else, like, okay, it's done. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like, how often does she go back and look at that? How yeah. often does she use that to inform her practice? Mm -hmm. It's more of, I'm just doing this to get this out of the way. Yeah. And if something that you have to do to get out of the way takes six hours of your time, mm -hmm. that's going to be extremely frustrating. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a factor, not only she, you know, that she said, that's something I noticed in my interviews. Mm -hmm. there were, that It was that same thing of, okay, I have to do this, I'm doing it, it's out of the way, on to the next thing. And so they're not fully explained, this is why you do it. Coherence. You know, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. You get cynical. It, it, gets, yeah. it keeps going back to that why mm -hmm. and, and how important that is for, for, for all of us to understand the why of things that we have to do, why do we have to do it, and that was unclear. And I think about support systems here. Mm -hmm. And think about what support systems does she have whether it's a leadership who didn't gave it two seconds to approve it, maybe more support there would have been helpful. Why did you do this? And and just some sort of validation that the effort that she put into this rubric system, which sounds from here a very valid way to assess students mm -hmm. um, and the work into it to make it good. Uh, so the support system there, but then I think about it, it took her six hours. So what kind of support systems are there to help as we're moving to data-driven instruction? We, you know, as, as we're changing in our pedagogy, if we've been in the field a while, we might need more learning. Mm -hmm. We're always learning, but you know, it might be something that was a part of our, our teacher prep background and, and what we were doing. So what kind of supports are our teachers getting as we, you know, as we change or enhance our pedagogy and, and the work that we're doing? Mm -hmm. Are the support systems there? And I, I particularly think because this person's not in a core area, sometimes we assume that they're fine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're do, and they're not. They're sometimes a singleton in a building. Right, right. And mm -hmm. and so again, that's the lack of support system too. When you're yeah. one of the only people that teaches that kind of content and other people may not understand it. So um, Linda's interview made me reinforce the importance of why, but uh, of the support systems that all teachers need. Yeah. yeah. What strikes me about Linda, she's clearly really intrinsically <coughs> motivated to self-improve. Yeah. And she believes right. that her colleagues are too. Mm -hmm. And she has really good ideas about what what would benefit her students the most. So she realizes what it would take 
to have that kind of professional development that she needs. She talks about collaborating with other music teachers to share best practices, mm -hmm. which is what a PLC really should be for, right? It's supposed mm -hmm. to be an opportunity for you to collaborate with your colleagues and share best practices and figure out what works best for your students. But when you overprescribe something like a PLC and these are the specific topics that you need to talk about and this is what you need to cover in those things, then you miss the opportunity to do that. And the, the takeaway that I have from this is that if you have somebody who is intrinsically motivated to improve, who got into this profession because they care about students, if we're not careful and we continue to overprescribe things, then that intrinsic motivation is going to decline and they're not going to want to continue to do that. And I would mm -hmm. imagine that reflects in teacher morale. Yeah. Well, when a teacher is excited about what they're teaching, then that transfers over and the kids are excited about mm -hmm. what they're teaching. And so my concern here would be is that she found the rubric frustrating in that situation. Well, when she's implementing it with the kids, most likely it's going to be a frustrating situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that kind of ties everything together. Yeah, yeah, sure. She, she's uh, one of the teachers that I observed and interviewed, and um, I can tell you she was a, a great teacher. Like, mm -hmm. I saw her in front of a class of 30 plus kids and was um, you could just know you know when you see expertise she was just like problem solving in the moment and mm -hmm. and really had a beautiful classroom and was able to like really engage in, in really um, really cool ways and, and uh, when I interviewed her at the end I was actually surprised that the interview went the way it did because she seemed like like a great teacher mm -hmm. um, and, and it just it ended up coming out how frustrated and ready close she was to quitting which was kind of where the interview ended yeah. Um, Great teachers but, get frustrated. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> um, well, let's go to the last, last one. Let's do the let's see last one. Kyle in here. Yeah, so Kyle is um, another mid-career teacher, um, so has some experience, um, teaches English, and um, in terms of uh, his morale, um, I'm, I'm going to read what he, again what he said. He said, my current morale, I'm tired today. <laughs> I have good morale. I'm blessed. I know things could be worse, and so you know, I'd say seven or eight. So it's you know it's it's interesting when you when you do something like this because um, if it had been like a, a survey, he would have just said seven or eight, and you wouldn't have known that it's like this. I'm tired today. Yeah. I guess I'm seven or eight, yeah. <laughs> which is a different seven or eight than if it's just like a seven or eight. So mm -hmm. anyway, um, Rodney's going to read Kyle, and I'm going <clears> to <throat> um, ask Kyle, what factors do you think have the greatest impact on morale? The factors that you have no control over. It's like life. I mean, if you have control of it, you feel like you could do something about it. But stuff that's handed down on high, people that don't listen, all those things I think have the biggest effect on morale. And then on the flip side is what you're doing being valued. And that all kind of goes hand in hand. When you give advice and nobody listens, or you don't understand why you're doing something, or you're being told you have to do it this way, even though you know your way works, and you know your students better than anyone else, better than somebody in Washington, somebody in the state government, even somebody better than up the hallway. I mean, you know each class, the dynamics of each class, the kids in each class, and to be on the front line and not feel like you're being valued. If you've earned that professionalism, then you should be treated like you're a professional. And I know it's got to be earned, and it's like respect. But those things, when you're not, when you're not being treated like that, it's a huge blow to your morale. Have you witnessed a change in morale since you've been in this school, positive or negative? I think people are by and large on the positive side of seven, eight, but I think it has gotten worse. That's why I said maybe a six. 
because you get more stuff handed down and you spend more time filling out paperwork and stuff and you're like, why are we doing this? It literally takes an hour and that's one of your planning periods. It's gone. And then the next day is something else. And so when are you lesson planning? When are you doing what really impacts the kids? Not for some bureaucrat, not for some data analysis. When are you putting the time in? It's at home. When you'd rather spend time with your kids or coach a rec team or do community service. You don't have time for that and that affects your morale. Do you see yourself here for the next three years? I love teaching, but I can see myself at a point where I want to get out. I think I can see why teachers want to get out. It's not like you're making six figures and you can say, well, I live this kind of lifestyle, but nobody got into it for that. We know that. Plus, you get summers off. I mean, we get paid a good wage. I'm not one of those teachers who complains about what we get paid, but for the hours we put in, I could have gotten a law degree and been a lawyer. So, you know, you look at that stuff and you think, will there be a change of profession in my future? There's going to be a day when it gets too much. The whole point of you being in this classroom and why you do it is so that you know your life is impacting a multitude of other people's lives. And the more that gets away from that, you're just going to leave. I mean, there's no point in it. You can get anybody. If they're going to tell us how to teach and what to teach and to do this and to do that, just get somebody else to go up there and roll out this PowerPoint or this or that and just tell them exactly how to teach. It's an art. There's some science involved, but teaching is an art, and it's perfected over years. I don't know if it's ever perfected, but it's refined over time. And you've got to allow us as teachers to refine. But we, all, we get lumped in. One school's got to do this, so this school's got to do this too. Well, maybe school A, they need that because of their clientele. The teacher's there, whatever, and maybe school B doesn't. They need something else. Treat people as individuals because you'll get more out of them. This really speaks to me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I can't tell you the number of times over my career that somebody asks me what I do. I tell them I'm a teacher. They go, oh, you're a teacher. And then it's often followed by either a subtle or not so subtly disparaging comment. And, um, you know, those few ran the rare times when somebody's like, oh, you're a teacher. What a vocation. Thank you. Um, I, you know, they just see me fly at them because they get a hug. Um, so... That's one thing I'd really like to see change. Mm -hmm. It's just people's perception of what we do and the value of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing is I conducted this interview with, and this person's a career switcher, and I think being a career switcher gave him a different perspective than a lot mm -hmm. than the other teachers I interviewed yeah, yeah. because he was able to conceptualize and put things, you know, within a box that other teachers couldn't even some policies, whereas there was a policy, you know, where a teacher, I interviewed in the same school, there was a policy and the teacher I interviewed on day one hated it, thought it was the worst policy on earth. Mm -hmm. But this teacher who came from a different career, he understood it. That was the key. He understood the policy. And he said, well, I don't necessarily like it, but I understand why it's being implemented. Therefore, I will follow through with this policy and do what my principal asks. And I think because he came from a different career, he was able to understand things outside the classroom and to bring a more worldly perspective to how things operate. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes as teachers, we get caught up into what affects us in our classroom. And I think that has a big effect on morale mm -hmm. as far as this, I can't understand it. I can't see it outside of my classroom. 
Whereas I think other people, other teachers, especially those who have been career switchers, multiple schools, they have a different perspective. And so they're allowed to understand policies a little more and support them. They may not agree with them, but because they had that, that buy, they had buy-in because they understand the policy. And I think that made a big difference with this teacher. Mm-hmm. What I really love about Kyle's profile is I think it's especially powerful to understand where Kyle is right now, mm-hmm. right? Like I love teaching, but there's going to be a day when it gets to be too much and he's perceiving that and he's wondering what's that day going to be like? When's that going to happen? That mm-hmm. I know I'm going to have to get out of this, right? And it goes right back to what you were saying, Debbie, about, I mean, I wonder how many professions there are where you have a conversation with somebody in the grocery store and they're like, oh, man, you don't get paid much. It's a hard job, right? If somebody's been a teacher for 30 years, they're courageous. I mean, courageous doctors have been doing the job for 30 years, right? Um, And I think that Kyle really um, brings together a lot of the things that we've talked about because I I think of this um, back to being intrinsically motivated to be a teacher, that people, I don't think, get into the teaching profession casually. It's because they want to do it because they care about it. They want to self-improve. They like what they do. Um, and for somebody to be intrinsically motive for, motivated for something, self-determination theory talks about it, and they, all these things have been hit on. For somebody to be intrinsically motivated, they need to have a sense of confidence, that they need to have a sense of autonomy, and they need to have a sense of relatedness, right? So I believe that I'm treated like I'm a competent person, that I have control over what it is that I'm doing, and that I can relate to the people around me, and that I feel like I belong there. And everything that we've talked about in terms of low morale and the frustration associated with the job are when these things are compromised, then it makes it feel like this is something that's out of my control, that's something that I'm less intrinsically interested to do. Um, so I just wonder what it's like to be Kyle right now. And if we interviewed him next year, if he would feel closer to that precipice of I'm almost there where I need to get out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and one of the things, I mean, I think one of the things that I would say also about um, this interview and a lot of them is that these were all teachers that were teaching, I think, in schools with really relatively strong leaders. And um, and the, the thing is, it's, a, it's something fundamentally changing in the nature of the profession that's being dictated by policy that's affecting this. I mean, even the most dynamic leader can't, can't help Kyle out at this point. Um, and the other thing I want to say about him, the, one of the reasons I really like this profile, is maybe one of my favorites, is that he articulates such a, a, a nice vision of what it means to be a professional. It's about being able to make judgments, and it's an art, and it's a science, and you refine it over years, and that's what really professionalism is. Is When you have an expert teacher, it's about just being, being really in the moment of teaching and knowing from all the past experiences you've had of being in front of a classroom what the best decision is at that point. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if you just want, if you want me to just like do it, and, and he, he was one, it didn't come out in this part of the profile, but he doesn't like pacing guides because mm-hmm. it didn't allow him to ex- like go down, he says, go down the rabbit hole and really explore <laughs> a topic. And he's like, if you just want me to roll out PowerPoints, get somebody else to do that. Yeah. Anybody can roll out a PowerPoint. If you want a real teacher, then trust me. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's, I think that's basically where it's at in my head. Mm-hmm. If you want people to be real teachers, if you want good teachers, trust me. Trust them. You know? Don't tr- I wouldn't trust the first year teacher. I would definitely give them some protocols and make them fill out some stuff and, you know, hold, you know, keep a close eye on them, um, because that's how you learn. I mean, by novices need to follow rules, 
But once you master the rules, then you need to then you need to take risks. Yeah. And that's something that came out in Linda too. She says, I don't feel like I can take risks anymore. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to be safe, and that's not that's not good teaching. Teaching is about taking risks. And yeah. so um, I think you see you can start to see in, in you know just this small selection some of the dilemmas that the profession is under. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. it's a real and even good leadership can only control so much. Yeah. So that's gonna affect our students. If our teachers yeah. are afraid to take risks yeah. in the classroom, mm -hmm. how does that trickle down to our students? Yeah. Yes. And if really good teachers, ones that like really are that really care about making good mm -hmm. professional judgments are, are feeling so frustrated mm -hmm. and maybe ready to step out, you're gonna be left with you're just you're gonna lose that body of expertise and that's yeah. not not that's not good for a profession. And it affects the perception too, because yeah. then there's like, well why did you stay? Yeah. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, um, most of the teachers, when you ask them, you know, what do they love about it, what keeps them, there's something about working with the student that they really adore and that really engages them. And I think that's something that people in different professions can't understand because if you ask a lawyer, what do you really love about your job? I love my clients. Mm -hmm. um, there's something that, you know, that I think about teaching, that people who stick with teaching, that continue to stay engaged with it. Um, it's, a, it's a really personal um, calling yeah. mm -hmm. that continues to drive you. Yeah. I hate to put a pin in this, right? Because yeah. um, this, uh, this is such a great conversation, but I think it's important that we, we leave people wanting more and that this yeah. doesn't turn into a three-hour episode. Right. <laughs> If you're interested in what you're hearing, which I, um, uh, I think we all are, and I think it's something that generates a lot of really thoughtful conversation around this, there's recordings of all of these profiles available on our Merck website, and you can read these in their entirety in the Teacher Morale Report, which is also available to download on the Merck website. Um, just to wrap this up here, um, Ronnie's already given us a really good overview of what the literature is like, and I think we can get a good idea of how this relates to the conceptual framework. So just to wrap this up, um, Debbie and then whoever else wants to contribute to this, what recommendations do you have for making the use of the results of this study? What would be a smart way for us to, to get something out of the stories of these teachers and apply what we learned? Um, I think absolutely disseminating the information, making sure that the study is read and discussed mm -hmm. and analyzed, um, and that absolutely specific measures are put into place to um, assess teacher morale and to address specifically and measurably um, some of the concerns that have been raised. Mm -hmm. I think it's about having more of these conversations yeah. among people that are, because I think if we, if we want to say what, what, how did we get to the point where the policy is so unresponsive to the work of teachers, it's because teachers' voices weren't part of that conversation, and I think what you have in this report is a lot of teacher voice. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, a, this is um, teachers talking back to the systems that they're working within now, and so um, so I've, I've been, like, uh, last week I was out in Goochland County presenting to their superintendent and their principals, uh, they have five principals, they have a small division, so they have, you know, their, their high school principal, middle school principal, and the three elementary school principals. And Autumn's laughing because she's in Chesterfield. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking about five. when you're going to come to our principals in February, it's going to be a huge room of people. <laughs> I love it, I love it. But the principals were right on board with this and they were like, they were, I, I gave them a presentation and talked about what we found and um, and it, I think it, it opened up, it, it it resonated with them because they work in schools and I think I think it resonated with all of us because it's like, oh yeah, this is a really good way of understanding the, what's going on in the school and it did for them too. And, it, and the hope is that it will influence the way that they think about their work as principals and how they implement policy and the ways that policies are developed. That's really what's the critical here. And so, um, 
I think that's the hope for the site. And we're doing work in that regard. I'm making presentations, but then also we're collaborating. Um, we, we we're developing a collaboration with the Center for Teacher Leadership um, to do uh, to do some trainings. Um, so there's there's a, a life after the publication of this report that seems to be about trying to get it out and, and, and um, you know hopefully make some make some change happen. Sure. Yeah. And, and in improving teacher morale, um, I'd like to see teacher excellence continue to build. I think mm -hmm. that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. right. And there's always some great conversations that have generated around this. Some news cycles have picked it up and started talking about teacher morale. So um, the conversation's growing. And if you interact with this report, you will learn something for yeah. sure. You'll grow yeah. from it. Um, so the full report for this study is available for download on our website at merck.soe.vcu.edu. Check us out on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Richmond Merck. Uh, if you like what you heard and want to help us expand our audience, we encourage you to share this episode with your friends and colleagues and leave feedback for us on iTunes. Um, it helps get our, our podcast out to more people so that we can um, uh, make sure that other people get to hear these kinds of conversations. Stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to be broadcasting the Racial Disproportionality in School Discipline event sponsored by the School of Education. Topics for up upcoming episodes include school climate, action research, cultural diversity, professional development for teachers, community-engaged research in high-poverty settings, and much, much more. Um, thanks to everyone for your participation today. Autumn Neighbors, thank you for being here. Happily. Uh, Debbie Gilfin. Gilfillan? Gilfillan. Gilfillan. <laughs> Debbie Gilfillan, thank you for being here. Uh, Ronnie Robinson, thank you. No problem. Jesse Seneschal, Interim Director of Merck, thank you for being here. Um, thanks to Kyle Yoga Muffin Rudd for our sound editing. Uh, thank you for your hard work on this important project to the people in this room and everybody else who contributed to it. And of course, to every teacher who participated in the teacher morale study, this would not have been possible without you. We're thrilled to have your voices included in this report. Um, and thanks, of course, to you, the listener, for being with us today. We hope you'll join us for future episodes of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at Virginia Commonwealth University. See you next time. All right.